Folks, let me give you some friendly advice. Do not be the creative who spends thousands and thousands of your hard-earned dollars on equipment each year without spending one penny on your marketing. If there's ever been a time to rise above the noise and do something just a little bit different to impress your leads and wow your clients, I would say now's that time. And my favorite way to do that is by leveraging print promotion using the photography that I am the most proud of. So our amazing friends at Bay Photo Lab have almost every product that you can think of, from magazines to photo books to promo cards that you can leave behind. And listen, if you just want something to dazzle your office or living space at home with, well, they have options for that too. You can get prints and wall displays from basically every style, from canvas to metal to acrylic. And the best part is you can get 25% off your first time order just by going to bayphoto.com, signing up today. They ship everywhere in the world, folks, and all their products look incredible. So do yourself a favor, start leaving an impact, whether it's for your personal memories at home or for your professional marketing at work. Bay Photo Lab, designed by photographers for photographers. What's up? You are listening to Entrepreneurs, a photography podcast designed to help you manifest your best creative life in self-employment. My name is Mike Blair, and I am your host. And on this show, you're going to hear practical perspectives on how to improve your freelancing journey. And beyond that, you're going to hear from other incredible creative professionals about their art, their business, and the lessons that have helped them grow. So thank you so much for joining me. Entrepreneurs starts right now. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. We've got a really important episode today. We are bringing back to the show for the second time, Christian Brim, CEO of Core Group Accounting. He is going to help us demystify the role of tax deductions in our business. So Christian, welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. You bet, Michael. Thank you. So let's get right into it. How would you describe tax deductions to a brand new creative, brand new professional, year one into their business? What are they and how do they benefit us? Well, I think generally speaking, the IRS says that everything that you receive as income is taxable. That's generally speaking. You know, that's whether you're an individual or, or a business. So most of the time you're limited in your deductions as an individual. So like if you're a, an employee somewhere and you have expenses related to your work, your deductions on that are very, very limited. When you've got a business, however, everything that you spend to produce that income that is business-related is a deduction or a write-off against that income. And so you only have to pay tax on the difference, on the net of that. Okay. So when we are eligible to write something off, I think this is something that took me a little bit of time to understand. Um, what does that actually mean? How much are we saving? It's not like, okay, you spend $5,000 on a camera, you save $5,000. Could you explain that and break that down just a little bit? Yeah, I think I, that's, a, that's a great question. And it's actually very common, not just to creatives, but all all businesses, <laughs> right. is, is they think, well, um, let's say you, you had $10,000 in income. And you have a $5,000 piece of camera equipment that you wanted to buy. You, you can buy that, but you're still left over with income that you have to pay taxes on. The net, that $5,000 in our example, is subject to some tax rate. So really, you're spending 100% of your money mm -hmm. to get a 30%, say, tax deduction. So it might only cost you 70 cents because you got a tax benefit from it, but you still spent the money. 
And people get to the end of the year and they're like, well, I got to spend money. Well, does that make sense from a business Mm -hmm. standpoint? Like, do you need new equipment? Do you need a new vehicle? You know, like if you weren't going to buy it anyway, if you don't need it in the business, it's better to pay the tax and keep the money than to just buy stuff. Um, All you're doing is getting a discount on it. It's like taking a coupon to the the store and getting the 30% off, but you still had to spend the 70%. In that situation, I'm always interested about the end of the year aspect. How are we able as creatives, not accountants, able to determine, oh, we should be spending more money at this last month now versus, oh, we should be saving it? What's the What's the calculus there? Because obviously, if we talk to a core group, they're going to tell us, okay, maybe you shouldn't do this or you should invest in this. How do we proactively know? Well, I use a rule of thumb. Are you going to spend that money in the next three months anyway, or maybe six months? Um, If you're not, don't. The the tax benefit is not worth spending money that you don't need to spend, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. But but if you're sitting there in November and you're like, I was going to buy this when I get this gig in, in February that's on the books, then it just becomes a timing difference. So I'm, I'm going to spend the money. So should I spend it in November or should I send, spend it in February? And that's that's the the algebra there. It's, it's okay. not, I don't really need this, but it'd be nice to have. And that's not the way to approach it. And, and what makes purchasing that... piece of equipment or software or whatever in November, more advantageous than doing it in January. Right. One of the the key principles is accelerating your deductions and deferring your income. What income can I push into the next year and what deductions can I accelerate and take this year? That's a general concept that makes sense. But Again, it goes back to that's your normal business. You're going to spend that money anyway. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So it, it's okay. more beneficial to us to defer the income and accelerate the deductions. Correct. We save more that way? Okay. Correct. But you know, there's a caveat there. There's always, it's, it's a timing difference. You're always going to have a day of reconciliation, <laughs> if, if you will. So like the example of buying a $10,000 piece of equipment that you have the option to deduct for taxes over multiple years or take it all this year. Well, you can take it all this year and reduce your, your taxes, but you have eliminated that deduction in the future years. So if you're not going to be spending $10,000 on new equipment every year, at some point that's going to roll up and you're going to end up owing taxes. Again, you have to think about it as a timing difference. It's not a permanent difference. You're not getting rid of the tax entirely. It's just managing the timing of it. So what I gather from what you were just saying is you are basically describing depreciation. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So from a if you were to explain it to a 14 year old you know depreciation or any you know somebody getting started right off the ground what role does depreciation play and then how do we choose to take that all in once or spread it out is that a conversation that we should be having with our accountants uh, walk me through that process right so depreciation is one of these concepts in accounting that under that, that's part of this overarching idea in accounting 
that, and this is not taxation accounting, this is just accounting in general, that you want to match your revenue and expenses to the timing that they were incurred. Now, most small businesses, that's pretty simple because you've got a credit card receipt or a check or, you know, you've paid for it. But but the concept is going to larger entities with more complex structures. You know, you think about a franchise, a uh, franchisor, right? They get a franchise fee to open a new Chick-fil-A. Well, when is that recognized as income? Is it all at once? Is it as they deliver the services? What's the contract say? You know, so I get it can get complicated trying to match revenue and expenses when they're actually incurred. But for our our purposes, it's it's fairly simple. But depreciation is this concept that you're buying something that has a useful life beyond the current year, right? So you buy this piece of equipment and maybe five years from now, you have to replace it because the technology is obsolete, okay? Mm -hmm. The idea of depreciation is trying to match up the life of that asset with the expense. So $10,000, maybe that's $2,000 a year for five years, Mm -hmm. not $10,000 all in the first year. Okay, so that's the general concept of depreciation. Taxes, on the other hand, bring in this other element that tax depreciation is based on what Congress says it is. And generally speaking, one of the benefits of the tax code is accelerated depreciation. So generally, the tax code lets you choose to take more depreciation than is real. Like, we're going to let you take that $10,000 all this year, even though we know that it's really a five-year piece of equipment. Gotcha. And, and I'm curious, how do you know, for someone that is inexperienced and they're uh, getting their upfront expenses out of the way, so they're getting a $5,000 camera, a $2,000 lens, they don't know necessarily when they're going to replace that or what the, the kind of lifespan of that is going to be. Who's making that call? Who's saying that's a five, five-year expense? Or, that's that's Congress. So, so it's it's written, it's written into the code. What assets have what lives they, they, they tell you. And generally speaking, most business owners, they're going to fall into three, five or seven years, unless you're buying real estate or something like that. So to simplify it, basically, if you don't want to read tax code as, as a freelancer, um, maybe consult your accountant and, and ask them. Yes. You could do, use chat GPT. Don't know the veracity of that, but it's generally pretty good. But, you know, m- most what they call personal property, which is not machinery that you're putting into a factory, is, is going to be three or five years. Gotcha. At what point can we take advantage of tax deductions? Can we do this? Basically, I'm, I'm asking as, as a representative for part-time photographers, people that mm-hmm. have a W-2 and they do some uh, something on the side. Do we have to be a full-time photographer to take advantage of tax deductions? No, you can do it as long as you have a business. The IRS has this quirky little rule called hobby losses. Essentially, it sets this criteria that you have to show a profit in three of five years. Otherwise, it's a hobby. There actually is a business like this in here, here in Oklahoma City this guy basically rented out an event space 
he was a huge audiophile. So he brought in all, all of his audio equipment, speakers, and all of his LPs, CDs, you know, all of these cassettes, you know, he brought in all of this stuff and you can rent the facility and uh, they'll play whatever music you want. Well, is that a hobby? Because the guy's an autophile and he's just doing this to have something to write business expenses off of, or is he actually trying to make money? And, And that's what that rule isn't designed to catch. But having said all that, again, it's litigated. There's case law where People have not made money for five years and still prevailed against the IRS because they actually proved that they were trying to make money. Like, you know, right. I mean, yeah, I think I remember reading this one time. I even did an episode on it on basically is your art a business or a hobby and basically right. broke down that tax, you know, kind of laws there, what's written on the IRS.gov. And basically a lot of it is uh, is specific, but vague. Right. It's like the attempt and the the, you know, the intention of like, are you trying to yeah. make profit? And that, that goes to this this concept of facts and circumstances. And, and that's kind of a legal term. But like it is really dependent upon the facts and circumstances of the individual. Yep. Um, I'm curious. I'd love to go into the potential limitations or the stipulations that come with certain deductions. And I'll specifically list off a bunch of different options here for you. So you don't have to list them yourself. Okay. But, uh, this is what photographers tend to expense. And then mm-hmm. you just let me know. You can stop me anytime if you want to go into something a little bit more and elaborate on some of these. Okay. Sure. So we've got equipment and software. We've got studios. We've got education, classes, workshops, things of that nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Creative assistance, like hiring people, like uh, you know your second shooters, what have you. Website mm-hmm. hosting. You got storage. You got advertising, and you got marketing. Is there anything there that jumps out to you that we should be like, okay, we'll hold off on that for a second here because it, it is contingent upon this. No, all of those are deductible. Okay. So how, first of all, how should we be expensing these things? How, what do you recommend? Like I've always been an advocate of just separating your personal income from your professional income as having a business credit card. Do you have any other special tips or is that pretty much spot on? No, I mean, I, I would have a separate credit card and I would have a separate bank account. I think one of the problems people run into is they commingle their personal and business yeah. and One, that leads to inaccuracies. But two, if you are audited, the IRS is going to have a field day because (laughs) they're going to say, you know, you've got groceries and you've got studio rental on the same credit card. Their position is going to be, it's all disallowed. You have to prove to me, you know, at a much higher level that all of these things are really business related. So absolutely separate your business finances from your personal. I don't care how big your business is. Makes sense. Now, let's talk about a few separate areas here because I believe uh, there might be some stipulations. Let's talk about personal vehicles. Okay. So, when you think about insurance, you got registration, you got gas, maintenance, repairs. Um, When does this apply? When does it not apply for a personal vehicle for business? Right. So, the IRS says that anytime you use a vehicle for business purposes, it is deductible. Where people get caught up, if you will, is in the commute. Now, a lot of people are working from home now, so there is no commute, right? So if you're if your office is out of your home and you're going to location, that's a hundred percent business because you don't have a commute. Gotcha. Your, your home is in your in your house. But if you had a separate location, a business 
office and you drove to the office first, that does not constitute a business deduction. It would just be from the office to the location. Okay. Gotcha. You have two options with the IRS as far as vehicle expense. One is actual expenses. That would be, you know, like let let's say the car was a hundred percent business use. Okay, just for this example, the things you can deduct are interest on the loan, uh, insurance, all the fuel, all the maintenance, and then you get to deduct depreciation on the vehicle. That's actual expense. The IRS also allows you to do a mileage instead of. Most people go with mileage just because it's easier. And it's easier, especially if the vehicle is mixed use. So like you use it for personal and business, it's easier than to track the total mileage, figure out what percentage is business. And I'm going to take 60% of the insurance and 60% of the interest, right? Right. So usually people default to taking the mileage, but it's one of those things that you should probably examine because the mileage is fixed. It doesn't matter what the vehicle. So the rate is is the same, whether you drive a, a Hummer or a Prius, it doesn't matter. You know, especially if you've got an electric vehicle, that may not make sense at all to do mileage. So the only thing that's not covered in the mileage component is interest. So you get to deduct interest as well as the mileage. You're talking about like interest on the loan. Correct. But only for the percentage, only for the percentage of this business. Gotcha. Okay. So again, this is why it's so important to do really good and um, cohesive bookkeeping or, or notation of like what you're spending money on for your business and then consulting with a professional to talk about this because it's hard to do this on your own. It's hard to do actual accounting, you know, and writing that stuff off um, without having a professional there to do those number crunches. Correct. Um, so let's talk about business meals. Yes. What constitutes a business meal? Because I think that can be also misinformed. Well, uh, is it for a business purpose? The IRS says, and I'm going to tell you that 90% of the businesses don't track this, but you need to document who was there and what the business purpose was. Now, is the juice worth the squeeze of keeping that documentation? Well, are you going to get audited? Right now, currently, the businesses, the the business meals are at 50%. So if you spend $10, you only get to deduct five. Entertainment is still excluded. Entertainment used to be at 50% like meals. How does that play out? You go to Top Golf and you rent a bay and entertain people. Well, the bay rental is not deductible, but the food and beverage is. Mm-hmm. Now, it it kind of gets squirrely, but yeah, that's the distinction. Yeah, no, I think you're right in terms of a lot of people do not make notations in terms of, okay, I took this client out to lunch and then I wrote down the name and the date and the location and the amount that we spent. Like most people don't do that. I've tried doing that here and there. Like I'll just go into my credit card online banking and then I'll just make a notation on that um, as well as like kind of a spreadsheet, but it becomes a pain in the ass to, to jot well, down. And, and I, I think- this is not to say you shouldn't deduct things that are legitimate, but unless the unless the amount of those things is excessive, it's probably not going to trigger an audit. So the IRS doesn't audit a lot of returns. Right now, the percentage is about one, one and a half percent of the tax returns get audited. Now, there's a lot of hullabaloo around hiring 
more agents and more enforcement and all that. But Mm -hmm. the IRS doesn't have a lot of manpower to go audit a bunch of returns. They just don't have the people. What they do is they have this method of of measuring tax returns. And I don't know what the initials stand for, but it's DIF, D-I-F. It's a DIF score. And every tax return is assigned a DIF score based upon what's on the tax return. Okay. And the higher your DIF score, the more likely you are to be audited. And they keep that a closely guarded secret. They don't tell you what components increase your chances of being audited. Um, But my experience tells me that it's incomplete information. Like you get a 1099 from somebody and you don't report it on on your tax return. It's numbers that are wonky. Like, so you've got $20,000 in revenue and $15,000 worth of business meals. So I say all that to go back to, do you need to document it for the IRS regs? Yeah. Practically speaking, probably not. Let's move on to travel. Are there any stipulations there in terms of what constitutes deductible travel? Like, you know, can you deduct everything? Obviously you can't just go to Hawaii and deduct all of your expenses there. But if you're doing it for a business purpose, how much can be written off and so forth? Well, if it's a business purpose, it's 100% deductible. Okay. Um, where, where people get in trouble or, or there is confusion is if it's mixed use again. So like I'm gotcha. going to Hawaii for a photo shoot, but I'm staying a couple extra days with my family. Right. Right. Yep. So just separate what portion of that is deductible, what's not. And generally speaking, it's what would have been expensed if it were business. So, you know, like the two extra days you stayed wouldn't mm-hmm. be deductible. Your family's flights wouldn't be deductible. Yeah. So that's that's the general rule. Now, here's a question for you, because I'm interested in this. What about potential uh, business? Absolutely. So for travel. So meaning um, you, you don't have a specific client just yet, but if you go out to Hawaii and you are shooting travel photos, in the hopes of potentially licensing that out to travel magazines, editorials, things of that nature. Absolutely. Is that partly business? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So good to know. Next up is a uh, home office deductions. I think this is another aspect that maybe people don't take in enough advantage of. We could probably do an entire episode on that, but you know, what qualifies in terms me. of your, yeah, I'm not going to do <laughs> Is there anything that qualifies and that does not in your, your home office? Yeah. So the home office deduction is one of those things that the IRS has gone back and forth with enforcement over the years. Five years ago, six years ago, it was one of those things that actually increased your diff score. Well, we don't know that for sure, but it was like one of the things that they were honing in on. But now that we have so much remote work, I don't think it's going to be as much of an issue with with the IRS. The rules say that it has to be it has to be a hundred percent business and exclusive. So your studio that you've got there, there's not a Xbox in there and a, and a TV for the kids to come in and play. And, you know, it's, it's clearly a workspace that would qualify. So then you get to take a percentage of everything associated with your home based upon that square footage. Mm -hmm. So if it's rent, if it's mortgage interest, if it's, 
insurance, if it's repairs, all of those things can be deducted uh, on a percentage basis based upon the home office compared to the whole structure. Okay. So that's good to know. And then same thing for what about other things that are maybe split? Like, you know, your cable is oftentimes connected to your internet, right? So that's part of it. Your cell phone bill is partly used for personal and obviously partly for business. Is that still 100% deductible? Is it 50%? What is it? The the reality is, is that people just deduct 100% of it. I think it was a couple of years ago, the IRS gave up on cell phones. (laughs) Um, They just said it's not worth figuring out. I've right, never right. Seen, it's so hard. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, I've never seen them ask about internet connectivity uh, in a home office deduction. But again, because you're only taking a percentage. Now, if you had a dedicated connection for your office because you're doing a bunch of high speed stuff and you need it, then that you know it's a separate bill. It's 100 percent deductible. Okay, so yeah, folks, right off your cell phone bills. 100 um, percent. Right. Um, all right. So that, that is a perfect spot to wrap this episode up on. Um, you can visit coregroupus.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So I'm going to list all the socials in the show notes as well. Uh, if you have any further questions, which I guarantee you will, if you're a business owner, because we barely scratched the surface here. If you really want to go into it, I believe that nobody should really be subjected to a 90 minute episode on tax deductions. So talk to somebody about it. Contact core group. Hopefully this will inspire you to reach out to somebody. Um, so thank you again, Christian. Appreciate your time and coming on to the show. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you. This episode of Entrepreneurs was brought to you by Bay Photo Lab. First-time orders receive 25% off on any professional photo printing product or service. Yes, I said 25%. Just go to bayphoto.com to browse the amazing selection of gifts, prints, and displays. That's bayphoto.com once again. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.